Woohoo! Hello and welcome to the Sydenham Arts live streamed podcast where we talk all things Sydenham, Lewisham and beyond. Thank you very much for tuning in today. We are very excited to have you here. My name's Angela Eaton, I'm your host and tonight we are joined by not one, not two, but three fantastic guests. Yes, coming up on the show, we have the wonderful Bernadette Russell, the fantastic Esme Allman, and from Lewisham Food Bank, we have the brilliant Carol Bostridge. We also have a couple of special guest appearances for you, and we find out who will be crowned the ultimate living legend of the week. That's quite a crown to wear. For those of you that are watching tonight on YouTube, hello, you are welcome to say hi to us over the chat or if you have any questions for our guests, just pop them in there and we will try and ask them as we go along. Now, our first guest is a Lewisham gem. They are a storyteller, a performer, an activist, a kindness campaigner, which is my favourite bit, an author, and they have recently written a book called How to Be Hopeful, and they have a podcast of the very same name. Needless to say, they have been incredibly busy over lockdown, spreading messages of hope and joy, and we are absolutely delighted to have them as our very first guest on the Sydney Arts podcast. Yes, it is the one and only Bernadette Russell. <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> introduction. That's amazing. I'm going to keep you with me at all times. <laughs> Great. Do it. You deserve that introduction. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Reading across any of your websites and everything, I'm just, it makes me feel good to read the words on there. So, um, as you can see, um, the Northern Lights are in Deptford. Yeah, um, we Which... would never have expected to see that, but what a wonderful, a wonderful moment for us all. Yeah very calming and very beautiful <laughs> um thank you for joining us i'm really pleased it's so nice to be um involved in something in our most excellent borough i'm very very pleased yes thank you and we're obviously delighted that you can be here as well so thank you um you've managed to write a book during a global pandemic which is right. quite an achievement and it's a book about hope as well in a time where people many of us may have found it quite difficult to find hope um and so I was wondering really what sort of inspired you to write how to be hopeful yeah no thank you for asking that and thank you for noting that because it was unexpected to find myself uh dealing with that. So I'd been thinking about hope for a long time and it was partly because um, a lot of the people that I'd been working with, so I do lots of community projects like I know, I think you do Angela, had, although they were doing amazing work, I'd noticed that they'd started to express kind of despair at just the weight and amount of bad news and, and, and difficult things. And I started thinking, gosh, hope feels like it's really um, in thin supply and people are carrying on courageously and bravely despite that but it it made me feel quite sad really and um, and I remember listening to Greta Thunberg who I absolutely love saying something along the lines of we don't need your hope and it really struck me and I thought well 
um, this isn't to criticise her because it's not exactly what she meant, I don't think, but I thought, gosh, I need hope because I can't, I have to believe that what I'm going to do is going to affect some sort of change. So I started to investigate hope a little bit and, uh, and started to sort of see if anyone would be interested in me writing a book about it. Um, and interestingly, there was a little bit of resistance to start with Angela, a bit of resistance about having the audacity, and this was before COVID, to write a book about hope. So I was really pleased to find Elliot and Thompson, who were my brilliant publishers, who were really like, yeah, this is what we need to hear about. And then I sort of set off on a little journey and I'd written the first draft of the book and I'd spoken to people from all over the world about hope and I was really inspired and I really felt like I was on to something. And then, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and then we all know what happened. So literally, I found my first draft on Valentine's Day, a day I'd chosen because I thought that was a positive day, celebration of love and all that. And then four weeks later, um, yeah, we were in lockdown. So, wow. So I was doing rewrites and we were working on edits and considering how to respond to that honestly whilst not making writing a book about COVID because we still don't know the outcome of it. And actually, it made me more determined to look for that and more determined to talk to people about that. And actually, I found a load of stuff that happened in lockdown, particularly in our, our amazing borough of Lewisham, really hopeful, actually. You know, all the mutual aid groups that sprang up, all the people going out of their way to be generous and kind to their neighbours. Suddenly, windows became art galleries. Suddenly, people were dancing in the streets suddenly people were having time to spend more time in their garden and with their family so actually I think it was a really rich source of hope do you yeah yeah and no and I was just thinking actually because you talk about connecting with communities don't you in in your book and um I think that Covid was a real example of people being willing and ready to just give to try and give what they can in a situation because it's kind of like active turning turning hope into more than just a thought. It's very, you have people that can be very practical about things like you talk about in your book. And absolutely, I think that you saw some of the, the very best of people, really people being willing to go out and do their neighbours shopping and posting through people's doors, you know, little notes with their contact details on saying that they'd go and um, get get things for people if they needed them, pick up medication for anyone that's isolating. And then on, so within literally your next door neighbours, and then you had other things where people are driving food parcels to people. And it's, yeah, no, I absolutely think it was quite amazing the the amount of volunteers that signed up for things was a real a real example of that yeah it was I think what we saw and it's really important that we hold on to it in the in the dark dark days that we'll that we'll have no doubt is that actually what we saw is how eager and hungry people are to help you know there was the NHS volunteer helpline was oversubscribed by about seven times um they I couldn't tell you how many times people offered to do my shopping it was you know and there, there was um an outpouring of generosity and eagerness to help and many people have written about it and noted it before but I think in a way it was a privilege to bear witness to that which is a strange way of describing a pandemic experience and I know there was lots of grief and suffering for all of us no doubt but it also was a wonderful thing to see that I think and if we can hold on to remembering that 
yeah, yeah. remembering the good things that we saw as well. And I was, uh, uh, did you find that difficult though as well because of all the other stuff going on? Was it, it very, very literally difficult to write? Did you get creative block at all? Or were you so inspired by everything that was going on around you that that didn't make a difference? No, it didn't. It was extraordinary because um, because what I had done some research and theorising about, I literally saw demonstrated in front of me. So it was a very peculiar feeling, actually, to have some things that I tried that I tried myself because I agree with you. I think the important thing is, is I'm writing about and trying to encourage active hope rather than a sort of passive wishful thinking, though there is, of course, a place for that as well. I saw was hope in action. I, I literally saw it. So the things I'd been writing about and reporting on and talking to people about that had happened in other parts of the world were happening on my doorstep in Lewisham. I saw that. So in some ways, although it made for a bigger rewrite, in some ways it made it easier because I was like, well, look, it's here, it's happening. It's not yeah. a thing or a daydream or something that happens in another part of the world. It's happening in Deptford. Yeah, amazing. and. You, you. One thing that really struck me um, about um, how to be hopeful was that you're, um, you offer exercises, uh, actual practical exercises on how to turn hope into into more than just a thought, into an action. And I wondered if the, there's something that you developed just for the book, or have you worked a long time on uh, creating those exercises to help? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was really, all of my books um, are, are sort of practical because I always want to try things. So since I first started this um, particular adventure, which is way back in 2011 now, I always did things uh, exactly as you were saying, Angela. I always made a practice. I didn't want to just theorise about kindness or theorise about environmental campaigning. I wanted to do things. I wanted to be kind. I wanted to plant trees. I wanted to try things. So they're all things I've done because I think it's probably a bit better if you've done them just because you can also be realistic about what pitfalls might arise. And also I was wanted it to be scalable. So some people, for whatever reason, might not be able to do huge things and that's okay, you know. Um, so, and I wasn't always able to do huge things. Sometimes it was little things and they couldn't always be things that, ha that had money. So yeah, all of the practical exercises I've done, they're tried and tested. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's really that's really great to say as well, and especially the um, the kind of doing smaller things if that's what you can do, because I think sometimes you can get caught up in these these massive global problems or something like climate change where you can feel sort of hopeless you can tr you can try certain things but it's hard to know how you you as a as a tiny individual can have a bigger effect and so that's really that's really great to offer offer the small things that can help towards something definitely and you talk about the um the positive bias of children um yeah. and how we can be inspired by children and our longer and our younger selves which i i see that in my own family since my brothers had children i see the the change in my family um why do you think it's it's so difficult to hold on to that sort of childlike positivity or hope why, why do you think we lose it as as we get older yeah. 
really interesting because I, I know you work with children. You mentioned that you just finished it. So you'll see it. So you know what I'm talking about. Anyone that's around children will understand that children have a, you can see it, this kind of positivity, opt optimistic, rose-tinted way of seeing the world, or at least of trying things. And so I kind of looked into that. I spoke to people that worked with refugee children in the camps in Calais and in Greece about their experience of children still finding joy, seeking out joy and play and fun and learn a little bit about children's um, optimism, even though there's, there's no conclusive theories about why children aren't like that, but there's, there is quite a lot of research into why we lose that. And actually one, a thing that really helped me was finding out that it kind of isn't our fault because it's to do with us having to survive so I found some research from a, a fantastic doctor called Dr. Rick Hansen, and he talked about how basically we are, we have a, a sort of negativity bias in order to, to literally keep us alive. And so I tell a story in the book about a woman going out for a walk, a, a, a sort of woman back in prehistoric days going out for a walk. And she has a lovely time in her friends, and they eat loads of berries and have fun and they sing and they dance and they have a nice day out. Um, but on the way back home, she trips over on a tree root and when she gets home and she's telling the story to her friends around the fire, she tells, she, she doesn't tell about the berries or the fun and laughter or the song and dancing. She tells about the tree root because that's the thing that could have killed her. Right, yes, I mean, yes. We survive, our brains held on to the thing that, that could have endangered us. Now that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. okay, that's what we do it. But as he said, most of us aren't going to die from a minor injury. So it's actually... We hold on to these, he calls them uh, long shadows, these sort of memories of things that actually aren't very helpful to us. But one really encouraging thing I found out is that you can literally train yourself. You can kind of overcome it by training your brain to be positive. And it works because I tried it. So all you do is every time something positive happens, and that can be a really small thing like somebody letting you get on first on the bus or somebody helping with luggage or you find 50p in a drawer or something anything it can be a tiny <laughs> thing you kind of let yourself enjoy that moment you 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 focus on it and you linger on it and then it has more chance of transferring to your long-term memory so then you kind of build up this library of hopeful positive memories instead of this library of tree roots tripping you up yeah okay yeah so you can train yourself and it does work so if you teach yourself if you make a daily practice of noting, noticing something hopeful every day, it will change your life. And it literally changes your brain. That's great. That's great advice. And scientific <laughs> as well. So Rick Hansen's advice. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, children's positive bias, I got a couple of our younger listeners to write questions that they'd like to ask adults. Um, so I've got a, some questions from uh, Holly and Jazz, who are six and eight years old. I, I'm picking them out at random from a bag. So this is a, a random question for you. And it's, Bernadette, what's your favourite animal? Holly and oh. Jazz would like to know. <laughs> oh. Fox. A fox. Yeah, any yeah. particular reason that it's a fox? Well, they're really good looking, but also they're second only to us in the, in the best at surviving. They live on every, they only like us, second only to us. They live on every, in every kind of environment on earth, from the Arctic wow. to, so they live in deserts, they live in the Arctic, 
they, they, they can switch between hunting and scavenging depending on what's needed. They're super clever. They're just amazing. And they kind of make fridges. That's true. They kind of make fridges. Kind of make fridges. The kids will like that. So when they need to store in the Arctic, when they need to store food, they kind of dig out a cold area, store some food and then put the snow back over it. So it's kind of like a primitive fox fridge. And then later on, they can go back and get their things out of their fridge. Oh, amazing. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And the kids will like that. And I like that very much as well. (laughs) Um, So we asked you to bring along one item that um, symbolised lockdown for you. Do you have that item with you by any chance? Oh, it looks tragic. So... (laughs) So, you, so this, I tell you the story of it, Angela. Please do. Right. So first of all, this little bottle, it isn't really locked down, but it's quite sweet. I found this on, on, the, on the beach in Greenwich. Ah. So that's quite nice. But this is because every single day during lockdown, I went to Oxley's Woods. Yeah. And, and I go there every day anyway. But like many people, I heard the birds were so loud during lockdown because there was no no sound apart from really loud birds and I swear Angela a cow (laughs) I heard a cow and my friend said I think that cow must be cat must be cowing must be mooing from Kent but you can just hear it um but anyway so I brought that because I went into the woods every day and heard the birds and I did lots of recordings of the birds and just listened and it was just so amazing and so hopeful actually because I thought despite everything that's going on kind of nature's getting on with it and also actually kind of revitalizing in a way having had a little bit of a break from cars and fumes and all the rest of it so that's my that's my thing that's brilliant thanks for sharing that thank you and you very kindly said that you would also um read a little bit from how to be hopeful as well this evening if you'd like to do that, that would be fantastic. The very beginning bit is a little bit about Lewisham, so. Ah, oh, fab. I hope it's not too, I don't think it's too long, Angela. No, don't worry. <laughs> so it's called In Search of Hope. Um, a few months ago, I was on the number 47 bus towards Lewisham, which is a pretty regular route for me. When I overheard a woman say to her friend, the news made me cry this morning. I just wanted to go back to bed. Everything is so awful. And all that week, I couldn't stop thinking about what the woman had said. I began to pay greater attention to all the expressions of despair and pessimism and cynicism that I heard from friends and family and neighbours and work colleagues. I noticed so much of this online and in the news. It seemed to me as though a dark cloud hung over us all. As I watched and listened attentively, it appeared we were doing very little but talking about how awful everything is, or else we were sticking our heads in the sand and praying that it would all go away. And it looked like hope was an endangered species. And yet I couldn't see how things could possibly improve without it. We live in a truly amazing world, despite the very real and present troubles we face. But it seems that many of us are struggling to find hope for ourselves, for our communities or for the world at large. And so many people told me that they feel very bleak about the future, that they feel scared all the time, depressed, anxious and powerless. Although we are sometimes still able to laugh and to find joy, it seems that Lots of us are hemmed in by quiet despair, and I didn't want to simply passively accept that this was the way things were. I was determined to work out how to find hope and how to hold on to it. 
and I wanted to help everyone else to do so too. Hope feels like the basis from which all possibilities spring. Without it, positive change does not feel achievable. The first time I remember hearing a story about hope was when my Sunday school teacher, Mrs Hibditch, told me about Pandora's box. I think a lot of people will recall this tale, vaguely at least. But to recap, Pandora is given a box which she's told she must never open. Yeah, it's obvious where this is going. Inevitably, after a while, Pandora opens the box and all at once fly out all the evils of the world. Grief, famine, death, greed, disease, anger, sorrow, pain. You get the picture. And shocked, Pandora shuts the box, but the evils have bolted and it's too late. The earthly paradise is no more. And after weeping in despair, Pandora hears a faint cry from within the box, imploring her to open it again. Presumably, she decides that it probably can't get much worse, so she does. And then out flies hope, tiny, golden, plucky hope, to protect humankind from all the evils of the world. What Hope was doing in such bad company is a philosophical conundrum that's divided thinkers, writers, artists and spiritual leaders since the story first was first recorded in the 8th century BC. Some see Hope as a punishment, as just another evil in the box, a false promise of better things to come that could only prolong our torment. Others have suggested that Hope was placed there as a gift from the gods to help us in our times of need. And this is how I feel about Hope today. To me, it's our main shield and weapon against the problems in the world. Hope allows us to believe that things can get better, helping us to, wait, helping us to find a way through our dark times. I'm certain of this. Oh, thank you, Bernadette. That's, thank you so much. That's really lovely and really just a, a wonderful thing to be writing about and amazing that you had resistance towards it in the first place, really. But... Yeah, it just shows that it needs to be out there, really. Funny, when I was looking through it, actually, I realised how much, so much of it is about Lewisham. Obviously, I've lived here a long time and in Lewisham, and there's lots of Lewisham people in there and organisations and stuff. So that's nice as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really brilliant. Thank you. I I wish we could talk for longer, but... um. Yeah, and now I have to move on, but it's been so lovely speaking to you. Thank you for sharing everything that you've shared as well this evening and good luck with everything that you're doing and good luck with the book as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. Oh, great. And How to Be Hopeful is available in all very good bookstores. Lovely. So, okay, for our next segment, unbelievably, we have managed to get in touch with a bit of a Hollywood legend. There are rumours that he used to live in Sydenham and Forest Hill. His double is the envy of the Hollywood community. And although now he spends most of his time in Beverly Hills, he has vowed never to forget his roots and has kindly taken time out of his action-packed schedule to record some songs for us. Our next guests, all they have to do is listen to the song that has been recorded and tell me what the song is. There is a point for song title artist and the year that the song was released. So that's three points per song up for grabs. Our guests have to buzz in 
Whoever buzzes in first gets to have a go at the three points. Okay, so we have our second guest, Esme Allman, coming on to play, and Rihanna Compton, who nominated our living legend this week. They are eagerly waiting in the wings. Without further ado, let's play Jason Statham Sings. Jason Statham Sings to the Nation. Hello, hey, hey Esme, hey Rihanna. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, are you both clear on the rules? I get it. Can I get a vocal yes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. I believe that. I believe those yeses. Wonderful. Um, now, in order to win the points and buzz in and guess and feel brilliant about winning something today um you need to buzz so i need to know what your nominated buzzer sound will be uh rihanna please can you give me your nominated buzzer sound moo oh a classic moo a classic and semi semi enthusiastic moo i like it i like it and esme what have you got for us Beep. Beep. Even more classic than a moo, really, isn't it? <laughs> a beep and a moo. Okay, I can remember those. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us and thank you for playing with very little introduction, both of you. Um, and so, okay, you've given me your buzzer sounds. There's three points on offer per song. Are we ready? Oh, we're ready. Okay. Without further ado, let's have our first... Any other day, I would call. You would say, baby, as you day, but today, it ain't the same. Every other word is a ha, yeah. Okay. Could it be that you are in the crib with another lady? We've got a beep from Esme. Fantastic. Yes, Esme. Is it Say My Name by Destiny's Child? Yes, it is. Say My Name, Destiny's Child. Okay, that's two points. You've got, if you can guess the year, you've got three. Rihanna, if if she hesitates, you can jump in here, but you've got to moo in. Damn. Moo. Oh, moo. 98. Oh, it's not 98. <laughs> Esme, any idea? Mm, 2000 oh i should no, know that you're both you're both exceptionally close it was actually 1999 right in between both of your guesses but it doesn't matter esme's on two points rihanna you're trailing behind here all right so shocker shocker <laughs> okay so and thank you we've got someone writing on the chat that jason is looking great thank you yeah he's um he is obviously a bit of a Hollywood stud. Okay, are we ready for our next song? Yep, fantastic. What do you want? Baby, I got it. What do you need? No! I got it. All I'm asking is for a little. Okay, Rihanna, that was a clear moo. A clear moo from you. Go on. Oh, what God. Aretha Franklin. Yeah. R E S B E C T. Yes, okay. Um, oh man, 83? 
no it's not no no idea no idea (laughs) okay Esme it's your chance to steal because you're drawing at the moment 1967 oh my gosh it's 1967 no bang on on. that's so good yeah okay we have a a clear winner thank goodness because I just realized I'd forgotten a tiebreaker question for you so I was like (laughs) if you could steal this Esme that would be fantastic um great so we've got Esme three point Esme two point Rihanna I'm sorry Rihanna um it's always sad isn't it but I'm impressed you got some points well done thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for playing Jason Statham sings to the nation we'll have your living legend coming up later in the show so woo this is where we say goodbye to Rihanna and see you in a minute Esme because we will be back to have a chat with you in a second thanks both of you Bye. bye And of course, really, we need to say a huge thank you to Jason because, um, you know, he really did us a solid there and delivered something quite, quite special, I think. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for taking the time. Okay, so our second guest needs no introduction because you just met her, but um, she is a writer, a poet, a performer, and a theatre facilitator. She has written, directed, and performed in her own film club, which is currently online as part of the Fringe of Colour Festival. Yesterday, she completed her first commission for the Sydney Arts Centre, and we are delighted to have her on the show today thank you yes it is the spectacular Esme Allman hey hi Esme the intro that was so nice oh good you can keep that that's all that's all about that stuff that you actually do so (laughs) that's actually you (laughs) it's you (laughs) it's real um thank you so much for joining us and thanks for playing um jason well done for winning as well fantastic what a what a great feeling so esme yesterday you um finished your commission for the sydney arts center you were delivering a series of workshops for young people of color aged 16 to 21 the space of our lack is the space of our possibility um a collaborative poetry set of workshops I was wondering what inspired you to develop the program oh my gosh um so I think that during COVID I think that um kind of COVID has kind of forced everybody into into this kind of creating space uh under catastrophe and I think that for a lot of us we're kind of not necessarily well versed in the specifics of COVID but definitely in a kind of lack of resources in a kind of being pushed to the margins of the arts whether or not you're there or not uh or if you can get in so I decided to kind of you know that's a bit bleak um and I was reading some bell hooks over uh the quarantine period and I read this gorgeous quote that you know she talks about you know the space of our lack is you know the space of possibility and I thought what a wonderful way to kind of look at how we kind of imagine and create in this kind of yeah in this slightly liminal space when you feel like you are you you are in lack of something um so I wanted to create a program that you know gave a a dedicated writing and creative space uh to kind of young people of color who've been like really heavily affected by COVID whether it be by school or just kind of like 
you know, quite the bleak statistics around, you know, the, the death rates and the policing rates and just give us something fun to do for a bit and just give us something that was going to bring us some joy. Um, and yeah, and just kind of really, yeah, have some fun working all together, uh, which we did. We had so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really like interesting making a collaborative poem as well. And I because I watched Mosquito and Addicted on the Sydney Arts YouTube channel and um from my perspective they they seem incredibly personal it's they sound like they're they're coming from one voice and I and I wondered if it's difficult to develop such a cohesive piece when it's a collaborative poem or or if that's something you don't consider at the beginning um so initially that task like the group were so awesome and they were incredibly responsive to kind of all of the wacky tasks I threw at them so I didn't initially tell them that it would be a group poem I just you know we you have to get creative as well when you're on zoom which um the chat function yeah. is like actually quite useful when you're when you're doing a writing workshop and a poetry workshop so yeah so we just kind of had these like different pieces of poems and we were like right like let's piece them together let's share screen and kind of move these around in a word document so yeah we had those two group poems and then they all wrote a bunch yeah like loads and loads of individual poems that yeah they showed yesterday and they were all fantastic they were so so good and did they show them over zoom as well yeah so we got readings from yeah all of the participants yesterday and then the gorgeous graphics that um James um at Sydney Arts created for us which was yeah which are the poems that you were just talking about that you saw yeah he's good at the graphics isn't he which is uh which is lucky lucky for us I think yeah <laughs> and um I, w I wanted to make sure as well that we talk about Club which is a film that you've written performed and directed so it's a digitized theatre piece and it centers around queer black club scene so could you tell us a little bit more about about the film what it's about and things like that without too many spoilers yes definitely oh my god it sounds like I Ben Affleck the film I just have to say like it I made it in quarantine so yeah, like, <laughs> I'm quite like strict restrictions um so yeah I always say that I um I, I don't I kind of perform out of necessity at this point um I can do it but I don't I don't enjoy it as much as kind of being behind the scenes um but okay. club was, yeah it was initially a piece that I created um that kind of yeah captured all of my love for both theatre and poetry um and it ran at a scratch night um at a small theatre uh, called Theatre Delhi uh, which was really really fun um and then quarantine came around and my friend Jess Bruff who organizes Fringe of Colour was like right as like I am doing I'm digitalizing our our scheme and usually fringe of color was a kind of tickets officing offering process um to people of color at the edinburgh fringe festival to go and see uh shows by and featuring people of color so jess was like hey you know we don't have the fringe this year so i'm gonna make my own fringe that is you know entirely by people of color and also then kind of generates an audience for people of color do you want to digitalize your theater piece and, and put it online? And I was like, uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jess, they were fantastic. Like they were incredibly supportive and they also have a, um, a strand of fringe of color uh, that has been reviewing all of the shows that go up. Um, so you know that your show is also in safe hands um, with yeah all of the people who watch it um, and review it because the reviews are like really kind and 
they've kind of eradicated this starring system. So it's not about, you know, how many stars did your show get? It's just about, okay, the writer assigned to the show, like how did they connect with it? Um, and I was lucky enough that someone I met over Zoom during lockdown actually reviewed the show um, for Fringe of Colour. So we met for the first time, her name's Elite. So we met for the first time off Zoom and she was like, oh, by the way, like I've just reviewed your show. And I was like, oh my God, like what a coincidence. Like we never would have known each other had we not been doing a separate program. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your actual question. I've kind of talked around Fringe of Colour and not necessarily my short film. No, that's okay. That was, it was still interesting. And it made me think, actually, have you found, have you found that in general, that there's been kind of more connections coming out of um, being forced into like lockdown and into these spaces that, uh, and a way of working that we might not usually be in? Have you found that you've had a lot more connections or kind of been inspired to do different things? Like you're saying, performing's not usually where you sit. And yet, I, when, yeah, I thought, wow, she's done directing herself and everything that must be <laughs> quite challenging have you found that there has been a lot of other um avenues that you've explored and things like that yeah I think that I mean going into you know kind of government enforced quarantine it's been interesting because I think that it's provided a really different way of communication and a way that you know otherwise like I work in theatre and I also work in kind of you know poetry as well so these are these are live art forms that really require a kind of audience to feed off of a team to bring your whole thing together and you know during lockdown you didn't quite have that so I think I'm also kind of quite naturally an extrovert uh, so by like day 10 I was like um I need to talk to somebody <laughs> else <laughs> this isn't working for me um, but definitely going through it I think I've definitely I've gone inwards a lot more and so it's been nice to kind of yeah I have not have the pressure to feel like I have to constant constantly create just to go back to my craft and say oh you know I'm gonna I'm gonna read this or I'm gonna just sit with this or I'm gonna try and pick up this new skill um because before this I didn't have much experience especially editing um it's incredibly technical and because we did all of the sound separately to the filming it was really interesting there's kind of two parallel pieces going on um, so there's the visuals of what you see and then there's the the audio that kind of layers on top of it, um, which is really fun. But yeah, had no idea how to do that before um, and very much learned kind of whilst we had this time at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said actually you've been um, sort of, you got into photography as well. Do you think that's something that you would have done before lockdown or you kind of got the space to do it from, from being in this situation? I think... Um, Beforehand, it's something I've always really wanted to do, but I um I think like it's quite an expensive hobby, like and it's quite an expensive investment in yourself. Um, and so <laughs> I kind of was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I wanted to do this, but because you know you're not you're not out traveling or seeing people, I was like, oh, let me like let me try this and let me fiddle around with this camera. Um, and yeah, I got some really really gorgeous shots, and then we did this short film, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm not too shabby behind the camera. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and was it strange directing yourself for a club was it an odd experience because you know you're having to just tell yourself if something works or it doesn't work oh, I think edit editing is one of the most editing yourself is one of the most humbling experiences I think I've ever had like I was just there like oh okay that's what I look and sound like wonderful um 
It's yeah, it was tricky. I think a lot of like I've got a few friends who are screen actors, and I was just like, I do not know how you do this because there's something about live performance that I'm. I don't know. It's 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 okay that it has you know it has character. It might be a bit rough around the edges, but when it goes well, it's the kind of spectacularness that everything in that moment suddenly went in order. Whereas when something is recorded, because you can keep going and keep going until it's perfect. We were filming when it was actually quite hot outside. So, you know, it's kind of 30 odd degrees and like you're, you know, in the house, the lights are on, it's really hot. And I was just like, I just want to get this done so I can just go and sit out in the sun. And so my patience kind of <laughs> all quite thin with myself. I was like, why can't you get this? You wrote the script, you know what happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got to admit, when I was even when I was filming the trailer for this, it was during the heat wave, and so um, people were messaging me saying, "Oh, you look so, oh, you look so good in that." And I was thinking that's great because I was lit, I was like sweating and just praying that it would be over, <laughs> like ASAP, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, okay, so. Um, I have a little bag here with some questions from a couple of our younger listeners, Jazz and Holly. They're eight and six. And I'm going to randomly pick one out for you. Um, apparently, this is something that they'd really like to know about a grown-up. So, <laughs> what's your favourite nail polish colour? What a great question. What a fantastic question. <laughs> um, mine would have to be... Ooh like an off-white I feel like off-white is a very like classic nail look I when we were first allowed to go out and get our nails done I got a, a mani-pedi and I was like I'll take the off-white it's a very clean look very summery I had my sandals on for the rest of the summer when it was hot just kind of showing off my my nice off-white toes so yeah <laughs> if they get a bit messy it's okay because they're off-white they're not you they're know off-white white <laughs> yeah 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 there you go that's a bit of advice for you there holly and jazz um and um we asked you to bring along an object that symbolizes lockdown for you today have you brought it with you yes i have i have i have and what is it uh, yeah my running trainers they're my running trainers oh my gosh these are these are actually like yeah these are relatively new and i bought them only after I had done the first run. So I was like, if you can commit to actually getting outside, you are allowed a new pair of running shoes. Um, I probably should not have done that because I have blisters now, or I had blisters all over my feet because my old running shoes are terrible. Like they are, they were broken and I definitely should have probably got these beforehand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did a couch to 5K and I, um, I'm still going through it. I'm still going through it, but this is probably one of the best things I've done during lockdown. Um, yeah. yeah, just so much better. And I like discovered my local area because I like now run through it or like huff, like really tired. <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not at all a great image, but I'm just, oh, look, it's so nice around here. Yeah. And you think, oh, I'm getting places so much quicker than I would do if I was walking, which should be obvious. But no, 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 definitely. Yeah. Well, Esme, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um wish you all the luck with all your projects and everything and thank you for taking the time and the energy to chat with us today it's really appreciated thank you so much for having me and yeah I look forward to watching the rest of the show and then shows with yeah oh yay thank you yeah and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching club as well so 
<laughs> Thanks, Esme. Bye. Fab. And remember that Club is available to watch now or, or maybe after after the live stream um, if you head over to fringeofcolor.co.uk. So, okay. Thank you, everyone that's been saying hello on the chat as well. It's nice to know that you're out there. And our next guest comes to us from an extremely important organization, Lewisham Food Bank. So with 14 million people in the UK living below the poverty line, food banks have acted as a lifeline to many people across the UK, um, literally transforming lives for some people. With COVID-19 sweeping the nation, Lewisham Food Bank, like many other organisations, has had to rethink its day-to-day running and how it can still help the community in a time where they may just need it the most. So we are very excited to be joined today by Reverend Carol Bostridge, who is the Senior Project Manager of Lewisham Food Bank. And great news, Carol is here and we are very excited to have her on the podcast. Hello, Carol. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. It's, um, yeah, it's really fantastic to have you here this evening and um, to get the opportunity to talk about all the things that you've been involved in over this period of time. Um, so you, you've worked for Lewisham Food Bank for the last five years. Um, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. And um, could you tell us a little bit about how um, COVID-19 has affected Lewisham Food Bank? Yeah, I mean, before COVID, people used to come along with a, a red voucher, collect some food. We had four centres, six days a week, couple of hours each day. Since COVID, we closed three of the centres. We're only delivering food parcels now. A whole load of our volunteers had to step down because they were vulnerable whole new set of volunteers. So we are now delivering 30 or 40 food parcels um, every day, six days a week, 150 volunteers involved. It's changed beyond recognition. On the other hand, we've just been amazed at the generosity with people giving time and food and support. And great that we've been out to really help people for whom this has been just such a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. And so you must have had to put a lot of different measures in place um, as an organisation that's very much having contact with people, people literally coming into the centre and things like that. Are you um, able to, to tell us a bit more about any measures that have been put in place and things like that? Yeah, so we've so clients, people who need the food don't come to us now. We've got a team of drivers who deliver and they all turn up one at a time so they don't collide with each other and do anything like that. When people take the food, there's a protocol of knocking the door, stepping back so you're not close to people. We only have, it's a big hall, we'll maybe have six people in there packing the food parcels. They work in teams of three, like making up just a little bubble there. They only come in once once or twice a week, so they're not no cross-infection. We are forever saying, keep your distance, don't get so close. My hands have been washed and washed and washed. Um, we have risk assessments and protocols as long as your arm. 
But people have been great. They've taken it sensibly. They've really been careful. We haven't had any cases of COVID within the team. We haven't had to step anybody down at all. So people have been really careful and they've been sacrificial in their personal lives as well, being careful. Yes, yeah, yeah. As in sort of limiting where they're, who they're seeing, where they're going, things like that in order to, to be able to come in to help at the food bank. Yeah, yeah, which again, yeah. we're just grateful for people making sacrifices in their lives because they want to be able to help in this way. Yeah, and are you feeling, so with the kind of return to a semi- I'm I'm reluctant to say the new normal, but it is that going that kind of way. Have you and with people coming off furlough and people going back to work and things like that, are you seeing a shift in in anything? A shift in the volunteers, or um, are you managing to to still keep a solid base of people helping at the food bank, or have things changed at all? Um, we've we've lost some people because they've gone back to work, but. But at the beginning, lots of people said they'd like to help. So we are forever having to bring new volunteers in. I'm very grateful to Caro, my volunteer coordinator, who has just been amazing at bringing, getting new teams in there and other people being brilliant at training them. But we are beginning now to look to open up where people can come and collect a parcel. So we're hoping in about three weeks' time to get the first of our other centres back open so people can have a time to come and get a parcel that will be ready for them pre-packed. And that's really got to be our road of travel now um, because we're aware we will lose more of our driver volunteers as time goes on. Yeah, and has that was that difficult to organise in the first place, having to make drop-offs with drivers rather than having people coming in to the um to the food bank or yeah was that was that yeah. A challenge? oh yeah I mean we are very grateful to Lewisham Council and a few other charities Lewisham is the best borough in the world <laughs> came together Lewisham local voluntary service Lewisham age can age UK Lewisham Council just actually came together so that together we could solve these problems put together some software, have a, a place where people could say they were in need. Um, the council redeployed a couple of staff who could help with some of the logistics and the practicalities. Um, and because people of Lewisham were so generous, we did have enough money to employ an extra member of staff as well. It has been huge. I really, my head hurts when I go to bed each night. But... Equally, it is just amazing to see that we've been able to help people who have been really struggling and that's what makes it always worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to help people and seeing people want to help each other is a real is is something yeah. to be to be really happy about, isn't it? And um yeah. we've actually got a question coming in from the chat saying um that that they'd love to know what hardships Lewisham Food Bank has experienced as an organization. I have to say and it's amazing. As an organization, we haven't had much hardship because people have been so generous. People have upped their donations of food and of money. People have volunteered so that we've got a waiting list of volunteers. People have offered transport and given us free masks and I've got some free hand sanitizer on its way. So as an organization, we're there's some people who are working too hard and could do with more sleep, 
but that's the only hardship as a food bank. We have just been blessed. It has been wonderful. That's so good to hear. That's fantastic. And um, and and it sounds like a, a bit of a theme talking to everyone tonight, really, where um, in a in a situation where things are are quite awful for a lot of people and can be quite terrible, and there's all this stuff going on in the world, people are really coming together to try and try and help each other which is is amazing really and um have you seen any changes over the last five years at the food bank have you seen kind of more people needing to use it less people needing to use it anything like that uh we were seeing we were seeing more people that it was probably a gentle growth but maybe five or ten percent increase each year sadly whereas when covid hit we probably trebled in, in those first, in that April, May time, it was three times as many people needing our help. I think you'd got a lot of people who'd lost work um, and, you know, universal credit takes the time to kick in. Other people who yeah. were picking up some work normally and it all went badly or people who were just frightened to go out couldn't get a delivery slot. It's calmed now. It's um, it's not that level now, but it's still probably double what it used to be. Um, and a real mixture of people, people who almost ashamed as they phoned up and said, look, I've never, ever needed a food bank before. And, you know, the fact we've been able to help them, people who used to donate who've suddenly yeah, needed yeah. help just because, well, it could be any of us. Who knows? A hundred percent. This is it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um have you, oh, I've got a question here from the chat, sorry, asking, um, are there any items in particular that the food bank are looking for currently? Um, each week it's slightly different. So if you find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, every week we'll put up an updated list of things. Some of the staples that we're always needing, it, you know, tinned meat, tinned vegetables, tinned fruit are always good. Toilet paper, please. Um, <laughs> but it, it's all on the whole it's long life stuff we do pick up some fresh fruit and veg through a charity called Fair Share but the main donations long life and think as well think like um, sanitary towels and uh, some the washing powder tablets and things like that we are giving out as well and if you go on our website there are loads and loads of places you can donate a lot of shops have allowed us kindly to have a box where you can take your donations. So if you can't get down to Forest Hill, right across the borough are doctor surgery shops, even funeral directors who've got a donation box in store. Oh, that's good to know. And that's all on the Lewisham Food website. Yeah, so if you go on Lewisham Food Bank website, click on the big donate button, donate food, and it will tell you all the places you can drop it off. Great, great. Because there is a question actually coming in from the chat about um, which centre is open for donations at the moment. It's the Hope Centre in Malham Road, Forest Hill. Um, and because we're every day there, we've got people there nine till five, Monday to Friday, um, and we'll receive your donation. And we do it carefully. We get you to ring on the doorbell. We put a trolley outside. So again, you can do it very safely. Uh, you don't have to come near too near to us or anything like that. 
Okay, great. And um, also someone from the allotment channel is saying that allotments have a lot of free veg, but um, we're told a few year, years ago that food banks um, wouldn't take that veg. Is that still the case? No, we, we are taking veg. The problem was a few years ago, somebody donated some veg to a food bank. The food bank gave it out and the client, who wasn't the most grateful person in the world, didn't bother washing it, got ill and sued the food bank. That was oh, why no. we then had to become reticent. But we would love allotment veg stuff. Ideally, if you can wash it first, that makes our life a whole lot easier. But we are giving out fresh fruit and veg, and that's really important at the moment. Probably the easiest, if you're going to do that, just drop us an email first and we can check that with stuff we can make use of. We did have a whole lot of marrows and it went down really, really well. We had somebody on our phone line, rang the clients and checked and got some very excited clients that they were going to get a marrow <laughs> to cook for the family. They're great vegetables, to be fair, yes. marrows. Marrows and courgettes, yeah. they're up there. They're up there for me <laughs> as well. Um, so I guess important questions as well are how can people get involved if you would like them to get involved, if they would like to get involved? Um, so if the easiest thing is to go to the Lewisham Food Bank website. You can, donations are great. Donations of money and we'll spend it on food or donations of food are great. Carrier bags so people we can get the food out to people without buying it more plastic. Um, if people would like to volunteer, again, they can. there's a link on there to the web form particularly as we're losing some volunteers, we are looking to get some new ones along because this, I don't think, is going to go away anytime soon. So all yeah, of that yeah. would help. We're, uh, you know, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but the website's got the information as well. And any queries, drop us an email and we'll we'll be nice to you and answer. <laughs> and um, another important question is, what if people would like to or need to use the food bank? Um, how can people do that at the moment, if not in person? So if people are in need of help, most of those people will be in contact with an organisation that can refer them. You can't, you need to get referred. And that could be your GP, your job coach, your housing officer, your social worker. And if you can't find any of those, again, on our website, there is a, a citizen's advice helpline number you can ring and they'll sort it all out for you. Okay, great. And the website address is? I think it's lewisham.foodbank.org.uk. Or, you know, if you just Google Lewisham Food Bank and it should come up quite quickly. Great, fab, because the allotment channel is saying they've got loads of marrows and courgettes to get rid of, so... Yeah so, if they, yeah, so if they just drop it, and, and the email again is just an info at lewisham.foodbank.org.uk so they could um, let me know and I'm sure we can make good use of them because we're giving out, say, 30 or 40 parcels every day. So an extra marrow to go with the stuff we get from Fair Share would go down very nicely. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Carol. And I um, wanted, I've got a little bag here of questions from a couple of younger listeners, Jazz and Holly. They're six and eight. And I'm just going to pull one out at random. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and questions they'd like to ask grown ups. And this one is What's your favorite game? My favorite, I, well, two things. I love quizzes. So I love going to quiz nights and 
I love doing quizzes. And I don't know if Sudoku counts as a game, but I love doing that as well. Okay, great. There you go. Yes, thank you. I think it can count. It can count as a game yeah. if you're having fun from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, have you brought along your object that symbolises lockdown for you? Yeah, no, I don't think you can see behind, behind me. I'll bring it down. Early in lockdown, I realised I was going to have to be attending far too many Zoom meetings. And to make them more fun, <laughs> I decided to put random objects on the shelf behind me just to make it interesting. And this duck, you have to be a cricket fan. In cricket, a duck is when you get zero. This was awarded to my dad for having a season where he got the most zeros, which was not a good thing. So this is one of my dad's ducks. A dog bit its nose. Um, so my du- this just reminds me of those early tedious Zoom meetings I had to attend. And it often I put it on the shelf behind me just to make it more entertaining for other people. Brilliant, brilliant. And did did many people notice that, Dark? It was interesting because you were watching people's faces and at some point you realised they had seen that there was a duck behind you. And I've, <laughs> I've had a few other objects. I tried to give it a bit of variety and put little figures or something silly behind me. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening, Carol. It's been really great talking to you. Thank you. Good luck well, with thank everything. thank you for having me. No, no problem at all. Thank you. And good luck with everything you're doing at Lewisham Food Bank. And I hope you have a lovely week ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for Thank now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So it's the final feature of the show where we say a big thank you to someone in the local community. Yes, it's time to give a shout out to a local living legend. That's right. Every week, we will be giving thanks to someone nominated by you that's gone above and beyond in these crackers COVID times. And that can be anything from a neighbour that snuck a Twix through your letterbox when you really needed a Twix or um, a family member that's working for the NHS, whatever they've done big, small, if they've made a positive difference or they're still making a positive difference, then we want to hear about it. Okay, so it's time for us to have a look at who is wearing the living legend crown this Living legend. What a legend. Aw, thanks. Shannon McNabb is my living legend because she really seems to make the impossible happen. Here we are in the middle of a pandemic and we have a kids' summer scheme going on. All the social distancing, all the good food, all the fun games, and just a really safe and beautiful space that she's created for everyone. And it's amazing. She plants so much hope and joy and light into the world without expecting anything in return. And I think that's really, really unusual to find. She's my living legend. So I'm going to go right in with a huge thank you for everything you have ever done for me, for your friends, your family, your community. You are a ray of light, a beacon of hope and 100% my living legend. Love you so much. That was lovely. Thank you, Rihanna. And thank you, Kelly, for uh, nominating Shannon McNabb as this week's 
living legend. Shannon has been running a summer scheme in Lambeth in Oval, um, feeding kids and running activities socially distanced um, over the last five weeks. And so, yes, Shannon, it sounds like you're an absolute legend and very much deserve that shout out. Now, if, if you know a living legend and you'd like to shower them with thanks on our show, then please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sydenhamarts.co.uk or you can get in touch with us over social media. We're on all of them. So do please say hello. Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone that's tuned in this evening. It's been wonderful to have you here. Thank you to our brilliant guests. It was fantastic to talk to you and we wouldn't have a show without you. So thank you so much for coming on and giving your time to have a chat with us today. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those for all the exciting updates that Sydenham Arts has in store for you and to see who we have on the show next week. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. I hope you've had a lovely time. See you next week.